Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If we had a Republican president, I would have considered it a hit piece, I got to admit, on ABC This Week. They had some Gold Star moms on talking about how awful it was the way Joe Biden handled the deaths of their loved ones in Afghanistan. And uh, it's it's something. We'll get to that coming up later this hour. Yeah, really dramatic stuff and moving. Uh, so uh, forgiveness, please. But a couple more quick political notes before we move on to other fare. Um, I found this so interesting. <clears throat> Credit uh, to... Can't remember if Jonah Goldberg was citing somebody else, but he was uh, uh, writing about how uh, one element of tribalism that people don't really recognize, and this rings so true. The more I think about it, do you remember we talked about this several years ago? That psychologists have figured out that people bond more quickly over what they don't like than what they like. If you express a common hatred of a band or a movie or a show or, or a food or whatever, people immediately bond over that. If it turns out you're both fans of a team or something, you might well become friends, but it's not as fast and not as or, powerful. Or somebody at work or something, which I realize is not cool. Oh, but uh, but that, that's, that's so uncool. I mean, that's the quickest way to bond. Oh, you hate them? I hate them, too. Let's talk but about how we hate example. them and why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. So anyway, but he pointed out that one aspect of, of political tribalism that is so weird and humans, what are you going to do with them? The moment an issue no longer becomes a way to bludgeon the other side, people substantially lose interest in it. So they're screaming that this is the most important thing in the world. But if the other side says, you know, that is pretty important. We should work together and get that done. People just lose energy to, to care about it. Well, that's disappointing. Their advocacy of issues is at least in large measure. Is it 30%? Is it 50%? Is it 80%? I don't know. It depends on the person. But 
in very large measure, people's enthusiasm for an issue is because they can beat the hell out of the other side with it, not because they're 100% committed to the cause. Great example. There is nobody on the right, statistically speaking, who's like fine with slavery or against civil rights for black people or pro Jim Crow or doesn't want people to be allowed to vote. I mean, it's just that attitude doesn't exist. But to keep alive the we're the brave champion of, of, of black people, for instance, on the Democratic side, they have to keep going further and further and inventing real and imagined you know crises and issues and jim that's why they're always hammering jim crow this and jim crow that because they want to be able to bludgeon republicans and if republicans say okay that seems reasonable it all of a sudden goes away as an issue um and, and that's just so troubling and and the other aspect of this is that and uh, you know trump's a good example of it or you know there are plenty of leaders obama that you can be staunchly a voter, can be staunchly in favor of something. And if their new champion says they're against it, they immediately switch and say, I'm against it. They just don't hold those beliefs very closely. They're mostly weapons, these issues, among many voters. And that's troubling to me. I don't think I do that because I'm pretty independent-minded and I don't Maybe you're don't just get better than fired. everybody. Well, that could be, too. Um, I just don't get fired up about politicians much because I don't trust them. Well, I just thought that was crazy. Anyway, uh, Trump, 14th Amendment. He can't run because he participated in an insurrection. There are fairly serious people talking about invoking the 14th Amendment to say he can't run. It was designed so that any Confederate who'd taken arms against the Union after an oath to the Constitution uh, couldn't, couldn't run for office. It is such a stretch. The Wall Street Journal editorial board, which are no great fans of Trump and and pretty conservative, they, they point out that um, it's not self-evident at all that what Trump did was inciting an, ere- an erection, an insurrection. Um, Sometimes I can't incite an erection. <laughs> that's very sad. Ah. Uh, I mean, okay, maybe it was a riot. I say, maybe it was- who's with me? Let's go. And just nothing. No response. <laughs> Nobody's interested. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, the, the mall rally on January 6th turned into a riot at the Capitol. It interfered with Congress for a couple of hours. It was an obstruction of federal proceedings, yeah, but there have been many riots in American history against U.S. policy that turned violent. The 70s were rife with them, and it is surely relevant, uh, relevant rather, that Mr. Trump hasn't been charged with insurrection under the criminal code. Does anyone think Special Prosecutor Jack Smith would have refrained from charging that crime if he believed he could prove it in court? Sure. And if he can't come anywhere near proving it in court, how the hell are you going to invoke the Constitution and unleash what I think would be storm and drong? I use the foreign phrase again because I'm fancier than you. No, it would unleash such hatred and anger and unrest in America. That would be an incredibly risky thing to do. It's not going to happen. Yeah, so this this works both ways in the fact that we've got where we should have a political way to deal with this stuff that's not... Uh, specifically legally a problem but we've gotten away from that it's, we've talked about this before 
Somehow lawyers have injected their language into all discourse, and so we see everything as either legal or, or illegal and not, is it okay or not, outside of that. Is Which, it right or wrong? Is it yeah. right or wrong? And so you could make the argument that a lot of the stuff that happened on January 6th that Trump did was wrong if it's not illegal, and you know there is no specific on what you can impeach somebody for. Well, the other side of that story would be, as I was watching the Sunday talk shows, a number of, uh, uh, George Stephanopoulos did this on ABC this week, Chuck Todd did it on Meet the Press, there has been nothing tying Joe Biden legally that he's done anything to the Hunter Biden, let's make that clear, you don't have to, you shouldn't have to. The fact that he was letting his kid fly on the, even if only his kid was getting rich and he wasn't getting any benefit from it, that ain't cool. That isn't something that we should accept. It doesn't have to be against the law for it to be oogie enough that people don't like it a lot. What you're gonna you're gonna allow your son to become a gazillionaire but traveling on the plane with you by implying that they're gonna get favors? That's not okay. Twenty-three million dollars filtered through a bunch of shell companies to the entire family, but there's no specific proof linking Joe. That please, I would say even if right. it was just to Hunter and not the, the 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 LLCs and the whole family, that's not something we should think is all right. Well, and there were those within the Obama administration that were really uncomfortable with how blatant they were acting. Nobody's talking about that now because everything's politics. But you're mm. right, yeah. The topic did come up on a couple of shows there where journalists threw out the idea and the growing Hunter Biden uh, situation is going to be more of a problem for Joe Biden. And that's when the host would jump in. Yeah, well, there's still nothing tied directly to that doesn't have to Please. be. They would ha- they would have to be monumentally stupid at a level where they couldn't have pulled off the scam to not be able to, you know, have plausible deniability. Uh, I know we need to take a break, semi on time, coming up later in the hour. Absolutely love this uh, thought piece by Jerry Baker. The U.S. is the most troubled nation, except for all the others. Sometimes you need a little perspective. Yes, these are turbulent times and spicy times and the rest of it, but you know what? All the nations around the earth are struggling Everybody does. It's we're going to be okay. I like is the a, message. I like you a dose. I like a dose of perspective. Got COVID in my family, which got more of my attention. This story about ivermectin. A court has made a decision around that whole thing. You remember the horse paste and how stupid Trump supporters were taking horse drugs and all that sort of stuff. Remember that update on that, among other things. Stay with us. Incited the erection, insurrection. So there's a new book out. I keep hearing excerpts. I don't know if the book came out this week or next week. I think it's this week. Anyway, it's The Last Politician Inside Joe Biden's White House and the Struggle for America's Future Um, by a guy named F-O-E-R. I don't know how you pronounce his name. Staff writer at the Atlantic. And uh, some of the stuff has sounded puff piece-ish. But, man, the stuff on Afghanistan sure hasn't. I mean, like some real rough reporting about the president ignoring all the advice he was getting from everybody about the pullout and going forward anyway and what a disaster it was and everything like that. So uh, um, we'll be talking more about that as more of that information becomes available. I thought that was kind of interesting. So 
You would normally expect a staff writer from the Atlantic to have a book that's going to be harshly president of, uh, critical of a Democratic president. I also wouldn't have expected on ABC this week them to feature a segment with Gold Star Families really bashing Joe Biden. Gold Star Families, any family that's that's had a loved one killed in the line of duty, you know, protecting our country. And the, the, these are two moms and a grandma, I guess. Uh, um, with the the young people that had died there at the gate in Afghanistan. Remember when the bomb went off, when we were the whole mess that that whole thing was. Anyway, let's hear a little bit from the the moms. The administration didn't seem to know our story. They didn't seem to know Nicole's name, our names. Um... People from the military certainly knew our story, Nicole's name, our names, and that was expressed to us in a way that felt very genuine and loving. But when it came to the people in suits, it it felt disingenuous and um, hollow. I didn't completely set this up appropriately. This is when they met with Joe Biden when the bodies of their loved ones came back to the United States. Listen to this one. First, he called me Mrs. Lopez, and I was not Mrs. Lopez. And he just talked about his son and said how much he knows or he understands how do we feel because he lost his kid, and he didn't feel. He didn't know how we feel because he was there with his son when he passed. We didn't have the privilege. We received our kids in a casket. I just feel so disrespectful by that man because it was all about him. Like I said earlier, wow. this is usually the sort of thing you get on a, on an ABC, on one of the big networks, if there's a Republican president. Uh, I was pretty surprised they aired someone saying, didn't know my name, did the whole, yeah, my son died in Afghanistan too, which is not what happened thing. And then and making it about him. That is so unhealthy the way he always does that. Yeah, you know, it's particularly weird when you just got a very different story. I mean, I think if you're a news junkie, you know his his son Bo died, they think, getting cancer from those burn pits in Iraq, but he died stateside in a in a hospital with family around, including his dad, not blown up at a gate due to a decision by a president. Right. Um, Here's another mom. We had decided as a family that we would um, not meet with the president. So we were actually in a a room um, on the side. We had decided because strong opinions. And then out on the the tarmac, it made it even worse. Um, The disrespect that we were shown with him checking his watch... um, not even looking at us. I, 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 it was just total disrespect. Someone screamed at President Biden, burn in hell. That was my daughter. Yes. And she meant it. So the stories are interesting, and I also think the journalistic decision for ABC to do that story is pretty interesting. And they set it up with Martha Raddatz going through the whole thing of what it just was. It, was, it couldn't have hardly been worse. The way that whole thing was orchestrated. Boy, I hate to be paranoid guy who always goes to politics or 
what the plotting is behind the scenes. What do you think explains ABC's featuring that story that prominently? Is it the sheer moral weight? And and forgive me, I'm thinking from a TV uh, producer's perspective, the drama of having the grief-stricken Gold Star moms speaking? Is it partly that? Is it partly that they really feel like the Democrats have to move on from Biden? I don't know. I, I don't. I, yeah, I think it's too far to, to think that yeah, it's an orchestrated attempt to bring him down. The, the everybody everybody from every angle was pretty harsh on him that week two years ago when this was happening because it was just so obviously awful right right but this new book from this writer for the atlantic is not going to help his situation joe biden's situation anyway when's that due out pretty soon uh, this week it came out to oh boy yesterday or today oh, okay so you'll be hearing more about it um, he was determined, Joe Biden was determined to get out of Afghanistan no matter the cost and uh, ignored the advice of, like I said, everybody, State Department, military people, everybody. Interesting guy, the way he handles these things. So he was the outlier on this. When it was everybody in the room, who wants to go shoot bin Laden? He was a no. When it was a who wants to uh, pull out of Afghanistan, everybody was, no, nah, this is not going to work the way you want to do it. He was a yes. All right. Well, yeah, and, and I, I'm glad you said the way you want to do it, because the choice is not between pulling out and staying forever. Right. The choice was between pulling out carefully and methodically and just heading for the door chaotically. Yeah, and then that whole awful story about how we had the suicide bomber, like, literally in their sights of this gun right. uh, and couldn't get the go-ahead to take him out before he Nobody even knew up. who to ask. Eesh. What a terrible story. What a terrible story. And then the complete criminal is not even a strong enough word. Satanic lack of accountability. Yeah, we don't do that well. For a variety of reasons. Short attention span of the public. Government gets away with it, whatever. But mistakes get made. Things go wrong. There's just there's not a lot of follow-up. Never admit the buck stops here. It's funny that people still uh, quote Harry Truman, how admirable that was. That we are the opposite now. The buck, the buck, what buck? You throw it at the next guy. All the, all the COVID stuff, what worked, what didn't work, masking, distancing, and stuff. Like, no, just you know, move on. School closures. Right, right. Armstrong and Getty. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. 
Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So, sometimes political books hit and they make it get a lot of attention. I don't know if this is going to or not. I keep hearing drips and drabs about it. It's called The Last Politician. It came out this week. It's about Joe Biden. I don't know what the title means. We were just talking about the segment on Afghanistan in which it's, uh, it seems to be somewhat harsh on the president. But here's a couple of nuggets from it. So uh, as things were falling apart in Afghanistan, Joe Biden couldn't understand why there was so much uh, critical coverage in the media. What? Uh, but that the criti- it was a disaster, but go on. The criticism of the withdrawal caused him to justify the chaos as the inevitable consequences of a difficult decision. That's. <laughs> That's an easy way to to make, you know, handle any situation, I guess. Well, everybody's upset. I just think that makes it even more clear that I made the right decision. All right. Uh, So much of the commentary felt overheated to him, he said to an aide. Either the press is losing its mind or I am, he said to an aide. Mm. All right. Yes, sir, Mr. President, sir. That's kind of interesting. I would agree. (laughs) But so they were all planning to go on vacation. Biden was going to go on vacation. Secretary of State Blinken was going on vacation. But then it all started falling apart. And then the the media, media spiral around it and everything like that. Instead, the author writes, Biden's inner circle could see that the legacy of the month would stalk them into the next election and perhaps into their obituaries. Wow. Yeah. That's when. Oh, that's that's when a you, good line. Yeah, it is a good line. That's when you know you've screwed up. The decisions I just made are going to be in my obituary. Wow. 
Wow. Wow. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that. Certainly. Uh, oh, you know what? I hadn't intended to do this, but somebody somebody has got to be in charge here. Who are you yelling at? I don't know. Um, where is the clip? Uh, says, stay with us. I'll find it. <laughs> sure enough, I'll find it. It's probably not under Trump because it's about Biden. Oh, there it is. Uh, play us 31, Peter Ducey on Fox News. i tell you what. Someone said, you know, uh, that Biden, he's getting old, man. That's why President Biden can't shake speculation, including from an author who just interviewed 300 people in Biden world, that he could bow out of the 2024 election. Based on all your reporting, how much of a surprise will that be to you? I would say it would, it would, be, a small, it would be a surprise to me, I mean, but it wouldn't be a total surprise. That's the book we were just talking about. Yeah, indeed. Franklin Foer or Foyer or something like that. Anyway, we'll know his name by the end of the week, I suspect. Mm -hmm. So more and more people speaking out loud about, hey, he might drop out. He's going to drop out. Anyway. I think he's uh, going to drop out of uh, the big dropout. The Jimmy Jimmy Buffett dropout. Oh, boy. I thought this was good. Gerard Baker uh, writes for the Wall Street Journal generally. Uh, the U.S. is the most troubled nation, except for all the others. Obviously, a, a little play on uh, Churchill's famous quote. Europe and Asia have nothing like our success, and that's cause for optimism and worry. And he uh, he points out, um, actually starts with kind of a funny anecdote. Some distraught young Brit in 1777 said to the great economist Adam Smith, after the British troops had to surrender, this will be the ruin of our nation. Young man, Smith replied, there's a great deal of ruin in a nation. In other words, yeah, this, we got more problems than that. Um, and he talks about some of the, the problems uh, in America, but he says uh, travel broadens the mind, not only by educating us about other countries, but by teaching us about our own, placing our self, uh, self-absorption in a global context, helping us to understand that for all our flaws and vices, other countries have trouble, too. There's a great deal of ruin in the world right now. And he gets to uh, he starts with this uh, big conference that happens every year in Italy, sponsored by one of their big think tanks. Several Americans like John Thune, Lindsey Graham, Bob Menendez senators are over there for it. It's a significant deal. Uh, But one of the opening addresses was about Italy's demographic winter. Last year, the country reported a record low number of births, 400,000 in the entire country. It now registers seven new births and 12 new deaths annually per thousand inhabitants. Deaths outnumber births 12 to 7. Wow. If current birth and death rates continue, the last Italian will be born uh, approximately 95 years from today, and the last Italian on Earth will disappear in 2307. Of course, what's going to happen is Italian culture will mostly disappear, except as a memory and a fun thing. Right. Um, other people will occupy that landmass. Yeah, that's what um, uh, Mark Stein wrote so well about in America alone is, yeah, there will be, you know, the Colosseum will be there and the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but none of the culture that is in, you know, humans will exist there because it'll be all replacements from other places. Isn't that mm-hmm. weird to think about? It is. Yeah. But time marches on. Uh, But I like this part. Italy's existential woes aren't even the most alarming in Europe. Germans are notoriously gloomy. It says something about national character when a people have a compound noun, not only for the taking of pleasure in another person's mystery, or misery rather, schadenfreude, but also for a deep world weary melancholy, Weltschmerz. These days, Weltschmerz is winning. 
Germans I spoke to last weekend resignedly embraced the moniker the sick man of Europe. Wow, that's a heck of a nickname for a country. Their economy is stagnating, having recorded a formal recession this year, painfully high inflation, cyclical problems pale beside the structural. Years of disastrously complacent and ideologically driven environmental policies that left the country dependent on Russian energy and exports to China. Demographic challenges similar to Italy's are creating anxieties about immigration. Once great industries, car making, capital equipment are wasting away. But while the Germans and Italians can be famously morose, no one can hold a candle to the British when it comes to self-loathing. Oh, boy. (laughs) George Orwell once wrote, It is unquestionably true that almost any English intellectual would feel more ashamed of standing to attention during God Save the King than of stealing from a poor box, meaning robbing a charity. Intellectuals more ashamed of patriotism than they are of stealing from a charity. Wow, that is interesting. I hadn't heard that quote. And they go into so that's the, where uh, we're headed. That's where we're headed. Yeah, like no, nothing could be. Uh, that's kind of gross and weird to be proud of your country. Well, our intelligentsia are already way there. Right. Our most of our intellectual class. Um, Then he goes into the war in Ukraine, hangs over all Europe like a vast cloud, and the general mood is solemn, compounded by the knowledge that Europe's dependence on the U.S. to fight its wars is as heavy as ever. But if you think this malaise is limited to Europe, a once great civilization, the process of becoming a museum of a great civilization, wow, is that a good line. I have news for you from Asia, where I spent time earlier in the summer, he writes. China's economic contractions are crushing its economy, and the Communist Party's efforts to conceal the problem only confirms it. Goes into little detail that, what does all this teach us back here in America? It would be complacent to ignore our own problems because other countries have it worse, of course. The main conclusions I draw are a promise and a warning. The promise lies in the continuing success of America's economic model, to the extent that we quit screwing with it, I would point out, but... Like its counterparts everywhere, China's communist system is failing much faster than our capitalism ever will, partly because our capitalism is so um, adaptable. But as I look at Europe, I fear that so too is the energy of our great shared civilization, overwhelmed by demographic self-destruction, atrophied by ideological revisionism, whatever that is, crippled by cultural self-laceration, all of it perpetrated by the elites in most of those countries whom too many ideologues in our own would like to emulate. Yeah, I think the ideological revisionism is the, you know, we used to be taught that this was all good stuff that we did, making, Mm -hmm. you know, Western civilization what it is. Now we're being taught it's all bad stuff. It's all evil because it once oppressed some people somewhere, even though the entire history of the globe everywhere at every moment has been the oppression of somebody somewhere. You get better at it. You try to stop doing it. You try to pass, I don't know, bills of rights and civil rights acts and that sort of thing. Yeah, the Trump- you, you preach about human rights around the world inconsistently, perhaps, but nonetheless, at least you try. Yeah, well, that, that, the point of Mark Stein's book, America Alone, what I, which I referenced a little bit earlier, was... Pretty soon it'll just be us. And yeah, that's what I take from that. That is scary. The most economically prosperous and peaceful civilization maybe in the history of the world is just going to be us when all these other countries are gone. Well, and the intellectuals of our country and the brave revolutionaries of Antifa or whatever are going to uh, suddenly and, and too late come to the realization of, oh, my God. 
everything I did, everything I said, even the idiotic things I preached were made possible by Western civilization. Eastern civilization, African civilization, virtually all civilizations got no interest in me shooting off my mouth. And now, you know, as uh, I like to point out, there are many an armchair revolutionary who are advocating radical change, and they're completely confident as to which end of the gun they'll end up at when that revolution is successful. But they're almost always wrong. I need to make that a little shorter and jazzier, but... Yeah, so yes, overthrow the power, and then you end up up against the wall. Hey, what happened? Have you seen the video of the big fat thief with his shirt off running down the street because they were beating him? I just getting the ass beaten, and uh, I just was, yeah, East LA. I was just looking up at the TV and saw that. It's it's humorous. Uh, it's fantastic, but it's it's dis- disgusting and awful at the same time. But. We have the video at armstrongandgetty.com, and now they're trying to pass a law in California to fine you up to $18,000 if the workers at your jewelry store or whatever do try to fight back against the thief. Best That's just right. Let the thief steal from you and walk down the street. So they're not rushing to pass new laws uh, cracking down on thievery or requiring prosecutions or anything. No. California is trying to pass a law that finds anybody who tries to stop the thievery. Good God, friends. Speaking of the end of Western civilization. Yeah, no kidding. And then the New York Times. People are leaving California because of the high costs. (laughs) Right. You think Chinese culture or any of those African nations or whatever are going to let people or currently let people go into the jewelry store, rob them and walk out? And would fine the people who at the store for stopping a thief. That's hilarious. And yet it's disturbing that it's happening. I mean, it hasn't been passed yet, but they're pushing it. Yeah. Just insanitatious. It is. It is. What a thing to live through. Witness all this. Son of a. Uh, we will finish strong next. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on... 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Money number one. I'm not sure he's been laid to rest. Number two, I was over the top. I won't have it. You don't like this song? No, it's well, it's a sucky representation of everything he was. You disgust me. It's a fun, light-hearted jab at the nutrition and something. <laughs> Went to my next door neighbors last night. Uh, they had a little uh, Jimmy Buffett farewell party. We had cheeseburgers and uh, shrimp and. Wow. And margaritas and that sort of thing. It was, uh, you know, a little much for a work night, but it, it was, sure was fun. It's quite the lifestyle you have. Yeah, it is. It's all right. I did laundry. I kind of like it. <laughs> I did laundry, dishes, and tended to a sick kid. That's what I did. Yeah, me too. Signed Joe in 2002. Because my son has COVID, which leads us to this story. We were talking, we talked a lot today about polarization. We talk about it all the time. And how, because of polarization, uh, for a variety of reasons, stories get all out of whack or attitudes about various things get out of whack. And it certainly did around COVID. We also were talking earlier about how there's never any follow up on anything. Well, here's a little follow up on this story, but it's not getting much attention. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals sided with the ivermectin prescribing doctors in their battle with the FDA. Do you remember that whole story? It's because Donald Trump mentioned it. He mentioned the drug, and then it was, ah, ha, 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 that moronic Trump is telling, or, oh my God, this is serious, the moronic Trump is telling people with COVID to take farm animal medicine, which is going to kill them. And these stupid morons are actually taking it. Because Trump voters are so stupid. The Food and Drug Administration is not a physician, so it had no business cautioning people not to take ivermectin to ward off COVID-19 infections with social media posts, stating, you're not a horse, said the Fifth Circuit. Yeah, the FDA, the government, paid for by you, used some of your taxpayer money in a blanketing the media campaign to make sure people didn't take a drug that was actually effective against COVID. How is this not a scandal? That's incredible. 
All yeah. because Trump said something about it. And we were at the height of, Trump is an idiot around COVID. These particular doctors were very angry. They treated or consulted more than 9,000 COVID patients and had a patient survival rate of more than 99%, prescribing them ivermectin off-label to treat their respiratory illness. They explained in the court case that uh, this is a drug. There is a human version. That's what they were prescribing. I mean, if you wanted to uh, you know, get the word out that you know, take the human version, not the horse version is a good idea. Um, fine. But just the blanket ivermectin is, uh, you know, a stupid idea for morons was just wrong. The posts, for instance, that we paid to put out, you're not a horse, you are not a cow. Seriously, all stop it from the FDA. There was a tweet and a Facebook post and all that sort of stuff. Um. I don't know if this account mentions that, for instance, the state of Cal Unicornia was threatening to suspend the license of any physician who departed from the official company line on anything COVID. If you dared suggest an alternative treatment might work or if it leaked from a lab or whatever, they would they would, you know, take away your ability to earn a living. So much evil. Isn't that unbelievable, though? There's one guy who posts on uh, Twitter. I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. You can't make me do anything. I don't want to do Elon Musk. Nothing but videos, especially from Australia and, and other foreign countries, where people were like beaten down by the cops for taking a walk outside or beaten by employees for not wearing a mask in a giant box store or what have you. He just wants everybody to remember the madness, the utter departure of sanity that attended so much of what happened in COVID. It's worth reminding us. I don't want the show to be over, but I am ready to listen to the final thoughts from Armstrong and Getty. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Yeah. Hey, let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew. Michelangelo, our technical director, will lead the way. Michael? I got a show recommendation for you on Netflix. Check out Live to 100 Secrets of the Blue Zones. It's all about how to live to 100. Uh, it explores all these different areas where people have lived the longest and what their secrets are and how they live. What's the What's the blue zone? It's just certain areas where they have a whole bunch of elderly people that huh. live 80 okay. and above. It's very, very good. Yeah, right. Uh, Katie Green, our esteemed newswoman, has a final thought. Katie? Well, in all of the bad news that we hear, I forgot to say last week to wish my parents a happy 40th wedding anniversary. They're in Hawaii and getting up every morning and listening to the podcast. Awesome. (laughs) By the way, we we went on the air in Ogallala. Is that right today? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. That's what you told me, Joe. That's good. So welcome. Welcome to the family. Um, I'll have to talk about this more tomorrow when I have more time. I was at the emergency room with my son on Sunday night. How they dealt with a couple of homeless people there. Way, way, way too much of our time, money, and effort is going into dealing with that. We got we come up gotta come up with a better plan. Well, my final thought is I'm really watching my weight these days. Gotta keep it down, keep the blood pressure down. Uh, let myself go last night, uh, hammer down a cheeseburger, some shrimps, some uh, chips, a little bit of smoked salmon, had a couple of margaritas, and uh I was down half a pound. So my there new diet is that. How to Drink Margaritas and Eat Cheeseburgers and Lose Weight by Joe Ketty. Yes, yes. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday.
So many people who think so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. Oh, man, that article about how to raise anxiety-free kids or reduce the anxiety to the kids you have under hot links. Check it out. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless America. Armstrong and Getty. Yeah, this is a, a biohazard issue. Fecal matter. It's rather preposterous, isn't it? Just insanitatious. It is. I'm gonna call my lawyer. Gun. Are you sure of that, dude? Well, yep. Absolutely. Okay. Get the hell out of here! Because these are brash times, aren't we? Aren't it? Isn't it me? Huh? <laughs> It's also time to get serious, because I said trying to get serious. Well, not a word. <laughs> On that high note, thank you all very much. Adios. Armstrong and Getty. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.